I want to welcome you into the Sunday Preaching Podcast of the Point Church, located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. Grab your Bible. You do that? Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. We're going to continue on in the next section as we're studying verse by verse through 1 Corinthians. I can tell it's prom season because I see some guys over here in their suits. We never get them in suits, but they, guys, stand up. I want them to see you. Don't they look sharp? You know, we should have had them take up the offering or do something today. All right, y'all can sit down. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm going to spend just a minute with you in verses 10 uh, down through verse number 15. We're in this section about unity in the church, unity in the church. Now, now what's interesting is if you've got a study Bible at the top of chapter 3, it doesn't say unity in the church. It actually says division in the church. And so Paul is writing to address some things uh, that have uh, brought some schism into the church, uh, some, some disagreements. There's some uh, cult of personality that John uh, taught you last week in the first part of chapter 3. And so this big section continues on with the health of the church as it relates to the unity of the church. Now, at the end of verse number 9, look in your Bible. He finished up last week talking about how we are God's building, God's building. Uh, God's building is not uh, just bricks and mortar and sheetrock and wooden studs. God's building is people, the church. You are God's building. And so he is addressing the church in this section. In particular, the next few verses are targeted at the leaders of the church. As Paul is writing out of his love and his affection for a church that he started, uh, Paul was the church planter, if you will, of the church in Corinth. And so let's pick up in verse number 10 as he writes a very personal, uh, challenging, uh, a, a very affectionate, caring a few verses to this church. He said in verse number 10, according to the grace of God given to me. Now, I love this. I'm going to pause and say that it really is all about grace. It's all about the grace of God. Paul doesn't say, according to my education, according to uh, my experience in the ministry. He doesn't say, according to uh, my, my, my seminary degree. He says, no, according to God's grace. Anything that happens in the kingdom for God's glory, it's not, it's not about us. It's about the unmerited favor of God. If you're a Christian today, it's, it's all about grace. You didn't earn it. You, you didn't work for it. You didn't do enough good things to deliver yourself from your sin. You're delivered from your sin by the grace and the mercy of the Lord. So, so Paul is writing off that basis. Because of the work of grace in my life, he's not bragging here. He's not building himself up. He's saying, this is God's good grace in what he allowed me to do. What did he allow him to do? 
like a skilled master builder. That phrase there is literally a word of architecture. Like, like an architect, I laid a foundation. Someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is, say it with me, church, Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. What in the world did he mean in verse number 15? I'll come back to that in just a minute, all right? Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would bring illumination into this room. God, I pray that you will help me to get out of the way and to preach what needs to be preached in this moment, that I wouldn't say anything that doesn't need to be said, that I would say everything that you want me to say with a heart, with a pastor's heart, to foster unity in the church around the gospel. God, help us as a church to keep the gospel central in everything, in our preaching, in our discipleship, in our children as they go now to Super Church and Forge, in our student ministry, in our discipleship, in our small groups, in everything that we do. God, help us to keep the gospel central. Remind us that the church exists to help Christians be healthy. And we have to have a healthy church in order to help Christians gain health. And so I pray now in this moment that you would just help me to bring these verses together. We pray for Mitch, Lord, that, that you would just touch him and, and uh, heal him, if you will. And I, I know, I know God, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that, that this is your sovereign plan for me to be standing here right now preaching. And so I pray that you would just help me, cleanse my hands, purify my heart, and help me. Help me to preach as a dying man to dying men, to remember that the hour is urgent and that we must be busy about the master's business. Save the sinner that's lost and without Christ, we pray. Revive your church for your glory in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Dr. Tony Evans, the pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Church in Texas, some of you have seen him on TV or heard him on the radio. No one can illustrate or tell a story like him. Uh, but he talks about how the church uh, really should be compared uh, to the local grocery store that's in every community. 
If you think about the communities of our area, there are churches and there are grocery stores. Well, one place you go uh, to get physical food that helps you, helps your body in your, in your journey to be healthy, and then the church exists for a place uh, for you to go and to be fed uh, spiritually that which will nourish you. A food is a necessity for the well-being of a community. If you think about uh, the grocery store, uh, there's a general manager. He has a responsibility uh, to oversee the store. And obviously, he wants the, the floors to be clean and everything to be organized uh, in a, a very uh, appealing manner as you come in. Uh, but the most important thing is that he makes sure that the products, uh, the food that gets put on the shelf, that it is safe for the consumer. Uh, there needs to be things that are available to the consumer that helps a person be healthy. For example, if you were to go into a grocery store today and you began to walk down the aisles and, and you came to the first section and there were Skittles and then the next section was uh, sour grape uh, or, or sour worms, if you will, the next section is M&Ms and the next, are y'all tracking with me? Some of you are going, that's my kind of grocery store. But, but sooner or later, you got to get to something that, that's going to that's gonna help you. You can't live, you can't have a diet of, uh, of sugar and things that are not good for your body. You need some healthy food. And so when you think about that analogy as it applies to the church, uh, Dr. Evans asked the question, what good is a church that has empty shelves? What, what good is a church that has food that is stale? What good is a church where you show up to get some meat and you can't find any? What good is a church where you show up to get some bread, some fresh bread for your soul, and you find that it's molded? You show up to get some milk and you find out that the milk is actually sour. Am I speaking to anyone today that believes the church must be a place that you can go and you can get nourished, and you can get health, and you can get health, you can get spiritual food for you in your journey of faith. That's the primary reason the Apostle Paul is writing what he wrote in this particular section. Now, in the verses that I read for you, I want you to notice, as I mentioned in the end of verse 9, God's building, this section he is writing to the church. A little bit later, he's going to talk about how we are the temple, how the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. But in this section, he is speaking to the church, the church in Corinth, God's building. Back in verse number 9, he reminded them that God is the owner of the church. I want to remind you, this seems to be kind of a Captain Obvious statement, but let me make it, God is the owner of the church. This is God's church. And then Paul speaks about himself. He had the privilege in God's providence to go to Corinth and to be a church planner. He says, I came to you and I laid a foundation as an expert architect. You see, Paul had the information. It was fresh. It was from God. He had the manual that the church needed in order to grow and to function as it needed to. Unfortunately, today, when you look at statistics of church planting, there's a lot of that going on. Uh, there's a very high percentage of church plants that don't make it. There's a lot of factors that go into that. Sometimes 
uh, a church will be started. The leadership of the church uh, puts their heart, soul, all their energy into it. And after a period of time, they just burn out. Uh, they, they, they don't have a lot of help, or maybe the church doesn't grow. In some cases, there are some churches that are planted, and they don't have the funds or the resources that they really need in order to get that church off the ground. No one invests in a church plant and gets started hoping that it's going to fail. The same is true for the Apostle Paul. He's not here. He's not in Corinth. The church has been birthed, and he wants the church to continue on. As I read this text, I want you to see three things about unity in the church and the building of the church as Paul is challenging them to continue to move forward. He's saying, hey, I started the church. God, by his grace, allowed me to do that, and now the church needs to continue moving forward. It's coming August. We're coming up on 60 years that this church has been in this community. And I remind myself often that I stand here today on the shoulders of others who have come before me. There's been a lot of giving. There's been a lot of sweat. There's been a lot of tears. Matter of fact, I see Miss Barbara back there. I just spotted her in my glance. Miss Barbara is still a charter member of this church. She was here when it started. And if anybody has sweated and worked, it's that lady right back there. There are a lot of people, there are a lot of people that have labored in the kingdom for the Lord in order for you and I to be here today. But here we are on this day, and we can't do anything about the past. We can't change the past. But you and I have today, and God has called us to have a vision for moving forward. So how do we move forward in true unity? Well, look at verse number 10. I want you to see, first of all, that, that Paul says it's time to get to work. It's time to get to work. He says, I laid a foundation. Someone else is building upon it. Notice the next phrase. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. So, so Paul is saying there's a work to be done. In order for the church to make disciples and fulfill the mission that God has for it, in the local expression for us, it's here uh, on Interrarity Point Road. There has to be some care. There has to be some attention. We build the Lord's work with care like an architect. You don't just approach it haphazardly. You, you don't just do a bunch of stuff and hope that something sticks. You have an intentionality to what you do because you know what you have been called to do. We're going to see this in chapter 4 uh, where, where Paul says, hey, we've been made stewards of the ministry that God has given us. If it's my responsibility to be a steward, an overseer, a bishop for this church, then there ought to be something inside of me that says, I want this place to be a healthy place. I want this place to be a greenhouse. I want this place to be a place where people can come and they're, and they're loved and they're challenged and they're given the gospel and then they're encouraged to grow in their relationship with Jesus, that we preach a very clear gospel of grace, that we call people to acknowledge that they're a sinner, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, confess their sin, and confess him as Lord. We, we call people to come into the family of God, and then the Spirit of God does his work in each individual life. And then when someone is saved or they're born again, they become a member of God's building. How many of you believe that's the process? 
Now hear me now, you can join the church and not be a part of God's building. Let me say that again. You can be a church member and not be a part of God's building. The way you become a member of God's building is by repenting of your sins and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. So we preach a strong gospel of grace. I I was uh, given this book by our association last year, and I sat down and read it. It's uh, by Jared Wilson. Jared teaches at Midwestern Seminary, and the book is entitled The Gospel-Driven Church. And I found this book to be so interesting as I read it. And in that book, he talks about how there are, are five metrics that matter most to the local church. Five metrics, he calls them metrics of grace, that, that really matter in the local church. If you've got a pen, I want you to jot these down. I'm going to give them to you real quick. As we talk about the Lord's work and getting busy in the Lord's work, where does our attention need to be? He said, number one, in a healthy church, there is a growing esteem of Jesus Christ. There is a growing esteem of Jesus Christ. In other words, man is not lifted up, denomination is not lifted up, leadership is not lifted up, Jesus is lifted up. Some months ago here, I preached a sermon. I don't remember which one it was, but I read an author where he said that in this uh, Western culture we have here in the United States and North America, he identifies seven different Jesuses that people talk about in the church. Friends, I want you to know there's not seven different Jesuses. There's one Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. And so we esteem him, we lift him up. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And so a healthy church is not about exalting men, it's about exalting Christ. He said, number two, metric number two, there is a discernible spirit of repentance. A discernible spirit of repentance. Now, I want you to hear me for just a minute. I thank God for every church that is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in our area, in our town. I want to be very careful because I've experienced this in my 32 years of ministry. Sometimes if we're not careful, we will maybe unintentionally come across like, hey, we're the only ones doing it. Anybody tracking with me? We're the only ones that are really preaching the gospel. That's not true. That's not true. At the same time, I look around today, and I just observe things in different places and different spots, and, and, and there's something that I'm, I'm noticing. I mean, my own eyes, my own ears. There's something I'm noticing is that there are, there are a lot of important things that are, being, that are being extracted from this North American church culture. I don't hear a lot of preaching on repentance. I don't, hear, I don't hear a lot of preaching on, on sin and calling people to repent of their sin. I don't hear a lot of preaching on hell. There's certain subjects that almost seem to be tattoo or tattoo, taboo, not tattoo. There's certain subjects that seem to be tattoo, tattoo, there I go again, taboo. That's going to be a blooper. I know it's going to turn the camera off, turn it off. Don't look, don't talk about, let's don't talk about this. Don't look, you're gonna offend somebody. 
Why would you get up there and preach on sin? Why would you, why would you step on anybody's toes? Why? It's real simple because that's what the Word of God says we're supposed to do. From the pulpit, from this man right here to the back row and everybody in between, there is supposed to be a spirit of repentance. That where we repent, we're saying, no, this is not okay. The word repent means to change your mind. It means that you, you, you look at your life, you look at your behavior, you look at your speech, you look at the things that you do, and, and then you look at the Word of God and you go, hey, I don't measure up. God has the final say-so. God, God is the one that has given me the guidelines and the rule book for my life, and, and, and He doesn't need to get in line with me. I need to get in line with Him. Can I go a step further? I was on the phone the other day talking with a friend of mine. We were talking about the church he attends, and they had like over 10,000 on Easter Sunday, and we were talking about how many people got saved and so forth. And that led us down this road of conversation about how a person gets saved. Please hear me, church. You don't become a Christian if you're not confronted with your sin, okay? So, so we were talking about this, uh, this fad. There's a fad in some of the churches today, and I, I just pray, you know, fads come and go, right? And I'm really praying that this one goes away. The fad is that, that you get in the room and you preach a sermon, and then you have everybody in the room bow their head, and you have everybody in the room repeat a prayer, okay? So, so it doesn't matter if you're saved or lost or whatever. We're all going to repeat this prayer together. Everybody, let's say the sinner's prayer together. Let's all repeat it together. There's two problems with that. Number one, there's not a sinner's prayer in the Bible. Number two, I'm a Christian. Why do I need to pray the sinner's prayer every Sunday? Somebody say amen right there. And number three, if you pray the sinner's prayer 52 Sundays, how do you know which Sunday you got saved? People, listen, pastors who are responsible, responsible for the gospel of Jesus Christ, stewardship of the gospel of Jesus Christ, are getting up in the church and leading people in a prayer, telling them they just got saved with no mention of sin. Listen to me. That is blasphemy. You don't become a Christian until you know you're a sinner who needs to be saved. Now, now listen to me. I feel like what I just said is like kindergarten of Christianity. That's not MDiv, D-men level Christianity. That's kindergarten. I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. But we have these little do-ditty prayers today of Jesus, come help me, help me on this journey. I can't make it without you. Thank you for coming into my life. Let's have a cup of coffee. Listen to me. Some of you are going, what's wrong with him today? I'm telling you what's wrong with me. The gospel of Jesus Christ is being perverted. And I don't care if you had 700 saved on Easter. If you didn't preach the gospel, you didn't help anybody. We must preach the gospel. John chapter 6 says, no man, no man will come to the Father unless he's drawn by the Spirit. Why is it that we think we can be clever and we can circumvent the process? It doesn't work that way. 
a healthy church. A healthy church has a discernible spirit of repentance. Listen to what Jared Wilson said in that book about this. He said, people cannot be saved if you never talk about sin. Christ is not the satisfier of our desires before he is the satisfier of God's wrath. Many sermons and invitation times in attractional churches focus on satisfying desires while avoiding any mention of our need for someone to satisfy God's judgment on sin. Failure to warn people about God's judgment is the best way to lead them into it. A discernible spirit of repentance. Number three, a dogged devotion to the Word of God. A healthy church, a church that's being built the right way, a church that is working in the right direction has a high view of Scripture that believes this book is the final authority. I was with somebody on Friday, and they've moved to a town, and they're trying to find a church. And so they went to this, uh, they went to this expo kind of in town, and you go there, and you know, there's this medical doctor, and there's this business, and here's this church. And they walk up, and this, this uh, guy's standing there, and, and he's starting a new church. He's got the little table set up. You know, this is the name of our church and so forth. And so this guy walks up to him and starts a conversation about that. And this guy says, well, well tell me about your church. He said, well, what, what we want to do is we want to just focus on a few things that we agree on and just forget the rest. We want to just, we're not going to get into the rest of the Bible. We're just going to focus on a few things. And so this guy's like, well, can, you, can you explain that just a little bit more for me? And so the guy begins to try to explain a little bit more. And what he realizes, he realizes that this is a church start that wants a crowd but doesn't want to offend anybody. Okay? Now hear me today. We've got a lot of this social gospel that's being preached today. We got a lot of this diversity gospel that's being preached today. I, I, I made the mistake the other day. My first mistake was clicking on Twitter. My second mistake was watching a video. I need to be careful. I don't need to get in the flesh as I did when I was watching the video. Can I use the word charlatan? Is that okay? There's a charlatan standing up behind a pulpit with his, with his robe on. And he says, I experienced the resurrection of Jesus Christ by attending a climate change rally. This is Sunday morning. This guy's up in a church, and he compares the resurrection of Jesus Christ to a climate change rally. My blood pressure went 200 over 199. My Lord and Savior, hear me, my Lord and Savior died on the cross. He suffered an awful death of pain and agony. He died. He was dead. He was placed in a tomb. And three days later, he rose victoriously over death, hell, and the grave. He conquered sin. He's alive. He ascended back into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. 
the position of authority in both heaven and earth. And we take Jesus and make him into something that fits our agenda. May that never happen behind this sacred desk. We have, he said, fourthly, a healthy church has an interest in theology and doctrine. Doctrine matters. Hear me, please hear me today. Doctrine matters. Yes, there is a big C. There's a big C church. That's everybody that's been washed in the blood of the Lamb. This church is a Baptist church. I was talking with someone the other day, and they were like, you know, it's just, it's just, it'd just be so wonderful if everybody could come together and we could be non-denominational and, and then we could all come under the same roof. Let me tell you how that works, okay? So we got a Baptist and a Methodist and Assembly of God and a, and a Presbyterian. So we're going to have baby baptism over here and we're going to have sprinkling over here and we're going to, are y'all tracking with me? A church needs to have doctrine. Yes, we love it. Sure, we love each other. Sure, we love each other. I know of a church not too far from here that started under that banner, and one Sunday morning, it just broke out, and things went crazy, and everybody's going, what in the world's going on? And somebody said, well, what, what, what just happened? And one man stood up and said, if you come to this church, leave your doctrine at the door. Meaning, we're just going to have a free-for-all. How many of you really believe today that a healthy biblical New Testament church, it does not have a free-for-all? It's orderly, right? And it desires to be as doctrinally straight and doctrinally accurate as it can. A church that is healthy, operating in grace, he said, is evident. It's evident that we love God and we love our neighbor. A church that's full of the Spirit is full of love. Now, I gave you those five things from him. Those are not in the text, but I want you to take those things in your mind and think about the work that God has called us to do. May we always hold Jesus up high. May we always realize that we are flesh tanks, we are, we are very frail, we are very fickle, and we need to keep a short account, and we need to repent of our sin. May we always be wholly devoted to the Word of God. May we always have a spirit that doctrine and theology matters. And may we not go out of here and be mad and angry, but may we be people that are filled with the love of Jesus who want to evangelize and make disciples, which is what we've been called to do. We need to get to work. Number two, the work that we do, look, the work that we do, we build for who? We build for the Lord. Everything that you do, Christian, everything that I do, is supposed to be for the Lord. It's not for my glory. It's not for my recognition. It's not so I'll be patted on the back. I do what I do for the Lord. Please hear me for just a moment. The book of James says that people that do what I do, I handle the word of God, I pastor. James says those that do that and accept that role and that responsibility, they will give a greater account when we stand before God. This is serious business. Do you all understand that? I hope you do. And I want to say this as kindly as I can. Not, I don't want to be crass or sarcastic, but just, just hear me for just a minute. 
I care a whole lot more about what he thinks about what I do than what you think about what I do. I care a whole lot more what he thinks. I care a whole lot more about what he thinks than what a secular, godless world thinks about what we believe and what we stand on. We build for the Lord. Verse number 11, when you have a church, no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is, say it with me. So what is the foundation of the church? It's not the Constitution and bylaws. It is not, hear me, in some Baptist churches, the Constitution and bylaws are more inspired than the Bible. You don't believe me? Trust me. The foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. You don't have a church. You can put church out on the sign. You don't have a church unless Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. He gave his life for the church. Remember Matthew 16 upon this rock I will build my I will build my my church. That's why I'm real careful. I'm real careful. I'm I'm very honestly I I don't say I do my best not to say my church or my staff or my this and my it's not mine. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to him. He gave his life for it. When we, when we started calling this church the Point Church years ago, the reason we did that was because we went through a strategy of developing our mission statement and why we exist. And when we got through that, there were 20-something people in this church that went through that process. And when we got to the end, our mission statement is loving people to the point of life, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the point. And so when I look at that sign, I don't just see in a rarity point. I see the Jesus church. This is his church. This church is built on the foundation of Christ. But notice in verse number 12, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, with hay and straw. So watch, there have been a lot of churches that have started with the right foundation, but they've gotten off track. There are a lot of churches that started with Jesus as the foundation, and then the church became about the pastor, or it became about the denomination, or, or the church became a social club where, where the church just merely exists to fill up everybody's social calendars. So, so here we are. We, instead of being a battleship in the kingdom battle, the church built on the foundation of Christ. Christ is still the foundation, but that church becomes a cruise ship instead of a battleship, where everything's about member services. What are we providing? What are we going to do? As opposed to saying, whoa, wait a minute. Gang, please hear me for just a minute. I'm not mad. I'm not angry, but I want you to hear me. There are over a thousand, over a thousand Southern Baptist churches that didn't baptize one person last year, not one. There are 25,000, we got 50,000 churches in the Southern Baptist Convention, 25,000 of those 50,000 have 67 or less on Sunday morning. Some of them haven't baptized 
anyone in over 10 years. But, buddy, they know where the Constitution and bylaws is. You know what we do? We get our eyes off things that don't really matter. It's not that those things are not important, but what's important is the mission. John accidentally prayed it, but he prayed it right a while ago. Did y'all hear him? Help Pastor Tim with the mission. <laughs> he meant to say message. Help him with the, me- help him with the mission. How, how many of you, come on, how many of you today believes the local church has a mission? Would you raise your hand way up high? You believe the local church has the mission. Now keep it up for just keep it up for just a second. I want you to hold it right there. I don't want you to do this, but I'm going to ask you. But I'm going to ask you. If you're a part of the mission and you're making disciples, could you raise your other hand? I put them all down. I'm challenging you today that we have a work to do that God has called us to. We got to get busy doing the work. And we got to quit worrying about who's going to get credit for it. We got to quit. We got to quit dividing up in teams in the church. Oh, I'm on their team. I'm on this team. We got to get focused on the work. And remember that the work is all about Jesus, which leads me to my last point. Paul reminds them here of the urgency of the hour. And he says to them, don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. Look at verse number 13. He reminds them that judgment is coming. All, my daddy used to say, all the cards are going to get put on the table. All the cards are going to get put on the table. Everything's going to get manifest. For Notice this, for the day will disclose it. What do you notice interesting about that word day? It's capitalized. Why is it capitalized? Jesus. Jesus is going to make everything manifest. Yeah, whoever said that. It is the day of the Lord. He's coming. He's coming. Hear me today. If I could just grab you by your shirt collar. Just a minute. Say, hey, look at me. He's coming. He's coming. Everything's going to be revealed. When he comes, he's coming with judgment. He's coming with fire. And that fire is going to test everything that's being done. Watch this now. I want you to think about the church. Think about the Modern contemporary church today that, you know, let's just be honest. We're in 2023. We're not in the 50s at the church at court. It's just a different day. The world has evolved. Here we are today, the day of the Lord. We say we're a Jesus church, and I believe we are. Jesus is coming back. Everything that's built on top of that is going to be tested. And the only thing that's going to matter is that which is done his way, not our way. For his glory. Dr. Henry Blackaby, I think, celebrated his 90th birthday the other day. Years ago, Dr. Blackaby used to say, you better find out where God is at work and get involved. Just figure it out. Where's God at work? Go join in with that. Because the only thing that matters is where is God at work? Because in the end, God's work done by God's servants will be rewarded. 
man's work done under the banner of God's work, it's all going to go away. In 32 years of ministry, I have had some really good plans. I mean, planned out to the T. And it went, you know why? Because it was my plans, not God's plans. Listen to me. God doesn't need you to plan stuff out for him. He already has a plan. I mean, do we really believe that? God, ha- God is working his plan. He wants us to join in with his plan. There's coming a fire test where the fire will test the quality of each person's work. What kind of work are you doing? And it's going to be revealed in that day. In that day. Now, verse 15, let me hit that before I finish. Notice, if anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about a ch- this great, big, gargantuan church that gets built, and it has this charismatic pastor who just does the coolest, greatest sermons, and everybody loves it, and it's so great and so wonderful, but, 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 but he's not preaching the gospel. How many of you agree we got a problem there? Okay. So what he's saying here is you can build these works. It don't matter how big it is, how grand it is, how much money you have, how popular you are, you can, you can build a work, but you're going to feel the loss when you realize you didn't build it on the right thing. You may be saved, you may be a Christian, but you're not doing God's work God's way. Now, what about that last phrase? Isn't that an interesting phrase? Your homework today is to study that, all right? There's a lot of different twists and turns. But some scholars say that Paul's basically saying there, yeah, you're saved, but barely. Anybody anybody want to stand up and give a word of testimony right now? ain't no such thing as barely being saved, right? You're either saved or you're not. And there's fruit that's supposed to be born. And the fruit that's born, it's produced in the kingdom of God. Now, 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 here's my last thing I'm done. I want you to look on the screen. Paul says something else to Timothy about our life and how we live in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 20. 2 Timothy 2, 20. Look at what he says. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, notice, useful to the master of the house and ready for every good work. That's the kind of vessel we all should desire to be in the Lord's kingdom. A clean vessel, a vessel that he can use. So my challenge for you now as Christian, it's, 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 it's time to, to get out of the stands, to get off the sideline, and to realize that there's a work to be done. And there has to be, I appreciate Patty this morning, just mentioning some stuff she did today, and I appreciate her doing what she did. It's the Lord's work. We're all in this together. We should be unified around the work. 
I'm always concerned in the church where people who have a very vocal opinion about what should or shouldn't be done are leading no one to Jesus and best I can tell not discipling anyone, but they know how the church needs to be ran. Somebody needs to say amen or oh me right there. We are called to give ourselves to the gospel of Jesus Christ and making disciples. That's our mission. And until he comes, may we be faithful doing that. And all God's people said,